privilege. Um, we have known Mark and Roz um, longer than probably we've been here in the Blue Mountains. Uh, so that's a long time in a way. Um, but we've known them from the Hunter days. And um, I know I said this in the first service, but uh, Mark and Roz really kind of uh, took us under their wings when we stepped into this role. And, uh, you know, Roz is on the uh, state exec um, representing all the women um, in leadership um, and, you know, within the, the Church of New South Wales. And uh, we really look up to you guys and we really love um, your family. We've known your family for a long time as well. Um, but you have become part of our family. Um, and we really appreciate the rawness and the realness. Um, if you were here in the first service um, or if you listened to the first service, um, Roz is just completely transparent about everything. And that's what we love about uh, you guys. We've had Roz come and speak a couple of times at our women's conference and uh, I could sit and listen to you guys day in, day out. We absolutely love you guys. And it is an absolute privilege that you said yes to coming and speaking for us this morning. So I want to introduce Mark uh, to come and bring the word this morning. So why don't you give him a hand? Well, we're hoping to look like Ben and Amy when we grow up. <laughs> you always have hope, don't you? Congratulations to the Panthers. They're my third favourite team. And um, none of my other favourite teams made it. And we need someone to beat Melbourne. So thank you, Penrith. Thank you. Uh, where will we go? Our state conference. I just want to say something. In the last, say, two to four years in our state, one of the marked things on church life is the emergence in strength of the regional churches and their influence they're having. It's like from Wollongong, Blue Mountains, uh, Central Coast with the Czechs, Newcastle, Tamworth, North Coast, there's some great churches emerging in the South Coast and the regional influence is big and I want to prove it to you because yesterday your church hosted the New South Wales State Conference. You've got COVID to thank for that. But here's what happened. Because of COVID, it had to go online. So instead of having 1,000 people at the conference, we had 3,000, and your church was the focal point of it. So I just wanted to say to you prophetically, I think that was a sign of things to come in the future. And one of the things that's happening generationally is that your pastors are like the first of the next generation coming through. So I'm 66, so I will hand our church, I will, I will retire from being a senior pastor but stay part-time on team. Roz will take our church and lead it through a transition to, to a couple like, like Ben and Amy that will eventually take our church. But, but I just want to say that's happening to, to a lot of, there's a lot of people my age leading good churches in the state kind of looking for the successor, ready to hand over. But you guys are already settled in, doing the job, becoming a focal point of the state and leading the way. And, and, and to me, when I look into the spiritual realm of that and cast my eye over, I think, wow, I think this church, more than what you think, could be quite a leader in the state of the next generation. So you don't always realise those things are happening. <laughs> You're just flat out trying to get to church, aren't you? But, but Jesus is building his church and uh, in this season it's the weirdest season ever but I think you guys are safe <laughs> and can rest assured that amazing things are happening here. Um, the message I'm preaching this morning is called Jesus Saves the Best Wine to Last. 
it's almost identical in meaning to Ros's message, not that we plan, plan together or intended it that way, but it's like both your services get the same message just in, through different vehicles. Um, uh, I'm going to teach you, I'm going to dig a little bit deep but then encourage you because above all else, I just love being a spiritual dad. I, I mentor a lot of planters, you know, at different places in the world and around the nation too. Not lots, but you know what I mean, a dozen also, and I love it. So my heart always in sharing with you is to protect you, <laughs> to make sure you're going to be okay, and to give you some encouragement so when you go out the door you think, I think we're going to make it. Um, but I've got to dig a little bit to do it, and uh, a couple of things will shock you. They're not too heavy, so don't, don't, don't panic. Um, so let's just start with something. I just got this dumb idea. I hope this works. It's out of an old joke. If you want to change your name, so we're all going to change our names this morning. So what we're going to do is take our middle name, if you've got one, and take the name of your street, and that's going to be your new name. So instead of Mark's there, I will become Louis Harrison, which is a much better sounding name than Mark's there. And if it's not exotic enough for you, then you swap the first letters around of both names. So Louis Harrison becomes Huey Larrison. Which sounds kind of Scandinavian, which, which I don't mind. <laughs> um, but why I'm doing that, so just think of what your name is or make up a name if you haven't got a middle name. <laughs> so this is a new identity and you're going to lead this identity into the kingdom, trying to help them understand the message of the kingdom. So our starting point for this new identity that you're responsible for, which is you, because you've got to learn to lead yourself, is our starting point in being created by God is I am blessed. The gift of life created in the image of the Father and a whole lot of other stuff. But basically, you start with the belief, I am blessed. Now, forget what happens in the middle for a minute because we're going to go back there and <laughs> get a few shocks. At the other end is Jesus saves the best wine to last. The great reward, peace throughout eternity, because you're a Christian, you've stepped into the kingdom and what he has in store, nothing on this earth can even measure up. So you start with I am blessed and you end with I am blessed. But stuff has to happen in the middle uh, to get us there. And I, I just want to take you through some things. So let's just read from John 15 and then I can um, preach to you. It'll be John it's a well-known passage, so I didn't even get it put up on the screen. John 15, verses 1 to 9, reading from the NIV, the vine and the branches. I am the vine, and my father is the gardener. I'm reading from the NIV. A more accurate thing, you know, King James and a few others bring out, I am the vine dresser. But if you take the whole vine dresser thing and put it in a whole context of the whole of Scripture, uh, Jesus is a winemaker that is building his church. He produces wine. Very significant that his first miracle was turning water into wine and that what I want to lead you to in a minute is that the last miracle will blow you out because, but it's also associated with, with, with wine. So you, you just need to get that I'm the vine dresser. He cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit while every branch that does bear fruit, prune, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. So, so here's the deal. This is a bit of the lose-lose of living life on earth. If you don't do that well, it cuts a branch off. And if you do really well, 
it prunes the branch. So it's kind of cuts the branch off either way, which kind of means there's just some stuff to go through. There's a bit of suffering you have to go through on earth. I hate pain. I like to avoid it. But this understanding for a pain hater helps me not have a faith crash when I go through a hard time. I've just actually even been reading the book of Job this week, this little sidelight, um, in preparation for a few messages down the track. The whole book of Job addresses the thing of suffering and gives no answer. <laughs> Except in the end, it goes, you don't need to understand, trust me. Whoa, whoa. But I'm a melancholic personality. I need understanding. I've got to tick boxes and organise them. I need understanding. Well, now we've got to battle. Because understanding is good. It's not a bad thing. And it helps. But there's so many times in trial when it first hits and I don't understand it and I can't figure out why that God wants me to walk by faith and trust. In fact, the accusation against Job by Satan in heaven, in the courts of heaven, and to use the right language, was Satan saying to God, yeah, but you blessed him. He's only following you because he's got this hedge of protection and he's blessed you. I'll guarantee if he goes through some hard times, he won't. And I was reading a commentary, he said an amazing thing. He said, we all have to face that. That is our faith just based on good circumstance. So we've got good faith when the circumstances is good. Or do we have fake faith that's only good when the circumstance is good and won't see us through a trial? So what I'm trying to do as a dad is just build up your little bit of faith for trials thing this morning. That's, that's just what I'm trying to do because it'll, it'll protect you. Um, two thoughts. I'm kind of using poetic license. I could actually almost convince you of scripture, but I can't 100%. So just let me have some poetic license. Two, two shocks. Uh, first shock, I imagine at some time in the history of heaven... So the Father and Son would have been onto this and the Trinity would have discussed it, but eventually the plan came up to redeem mankind that someone had to die and be offered as a sacrifice. So heaven's all ears. Whoa, wonder who that'll be. And then it's revealed that'll be the Son of God who's been in perfect with the Father and the plan of becomes sin, suffers at the hands of men, doesn't use any of his power to escape the pain and it's just completely annihilated by the hatred of men so that it could carry your and my sin so it could be dealt with so that we can have a way of salvation and be fully redeemed. So it's like when heaven first found out the plan, I imagine there was just complete silence. You can't do that to Jesus. It's like, ah, oh, a shocking moment in heaven. However... What, why such a shocking plan? Because God is attempting the most outstanding, incredible, amazing transformation of your and my life. Yeah. Now, something like this. This is a whole message on its own that I haven't perfected yet. One day I'll preach. At the marriage supper of the Lamb, the church, all right, so Jesus is the bridegroom, the church is the bride. We know that, don't we? The bride of Christ. Another name for the church is the body of Christ. Oh, the body of Christ. And when we take communion, the bread represents the broken body. So in heaven, at the marriage supper, at the communion, where we become one with Christ, it's not happening through sex, 
It's happening through communion. That's why when we have communion in church, it's a completely sacred thing. And here's the thing I just want to get across to you, because just as that initial plan when heaven found out, the plan he has for you is even more amazing, that in a way we become the bread and the wine as the body of Christ. And that's why it says here, uh, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. So I'm the vine, you're the branches. The branch's job is to produce the fruit. Now, this morning's message is about, well, what does he do with the fruit? Because I thought, I like being fruitful in the kingdom. When I'm fruitful, I think that's an end in itself. But God's plan always goes beyond what we know and understand. So this was the shock I got (laughs) preparing this message. I thought, oh, my God, what does he do with fruit? You know what he has to do with the fruit? He has to crush the fruit to get the juice out. Oh! And I just didn't want to look at it. You know, I was like, just as little pain as possible. I'll just shut my eyes. You know, it's like, no, I want you to look at it, Mark, because you've got to teach people on this. So first point, there's only two points. Fruit has to be crushed to get the juice. Crushing is essential to get the juice. And not only the juice, so watch this. When they crush the whole plant or the branch, the perfume and fr- or fragrance comes from the leaves and petals. And that's why... In some way, in the things we're good at, there's a, there's a perfume on us. There's a fragrance that comes out of our lives when we go through difficult times that really blesses God and other people. Uh, oil is extracted from when the whole plant is crushed, and that's, that's your anointing. So as you go through things and come out the other side, your anointing starts to show up, the oil of who you are. And that's why you'll see this, that... This is a long-term thing, not a short-term thing, but in the area you've struggled in and suffered in unfairly and that's probably been cruel to you, as your faith takes you through it, as God does his work, that's very often the area of your ministry. So if I was to go through divorce, you know, and I I was really beaten up by it, who am I going to go to? I'm going to go to someone who's been through it. And come out the other side and go, can, can you help me? So see how for that person then, what they've been through and suffered through, but come out the other side, that becomes their ministry. So it can only become your ministry when it's a scar, not when the wound's still a wound. So there's just, there's just process there. Um, here's, here's some really good news. You need to know this bit because you probably feel like, run for your life. He's telling us we're going to get crushed. But don't run because... The word for crushing in the Bible, there's two meanings. There's the crushing of his enemies, that kind of is complete destruction, no hope left. But the crushing, when he uses it with his own people, it means this. Just enough pressure to extract what is needed for the situation. Watch this. Not more than you can bear. Phew. Now I think I might be able to make it. And it's a positive thing that extracts, this is really good, that extracts the goodness you didn't know you had that he knitted into your DNA when he knitted you together in your mother's womb. So there's stuff about you, good stuff, that you don't know is there. Because what's funny for us is we go through life and the pressure brings out the bad stuff. We sometimes swear when we shouldn't. (laughs) Sorry, you know, pressure's on. Yeah, But also in going through the trial, what God's doing is bring out the good stuff out of you the stuff that you're going to minister to to other people 
with your life. And then when you're doing the ministering and other lives are protected and changed and healed, now sometimes I'm old enough to realise this, I couldn't have done it in previous decades, but now I can look back and think, I'm okay with the trials that I went through, God. I'm actually okay with it because it's what, what my significance and esteem, not, not, not pride, but you know what I mean? It's like I feel valuable on the earth. When my mum was dying of cancer, I remember saying to me, Mark, I don't mind going through this if someone else can benefit from it. And, and I think we get a bit like that as, as we go through process and God is transforming us. Mm. I learnt this off Roz. No one is, in scripture, no one is called and allowed to stay where they are emotionally and spiritually. We all, we all have to grow. That's why 1 Peter 4, you know, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal. Well, I'm 66 and I'm still surprised at the fiery ordeal. I'm, like, I'm still learning. You know, we've all got feet of clay, so this stuff that God's always done, that one day I've got to not be surprised when the next trial comes. You know, it's like, <laughs> no, no, it's okay. Um, Soft suffering is often a sign of call and not sin. This thing happens sometimes in the kingdom. I don't see it as much these days. It used to happen a lot. And in legalistic situations, you'd go through a hard time or you'd lose a loved one and some idiot Christian would always come up and say, oh, it's because you've got sin in your life, you know. I've actually had beautiful Christians come to me. One of them lost their baby. It was born without kidneys and they fasted and prayed. The baby didn't make it and, you know, I was at the hospital with them and, we had the, the child there and we're just praying and they said, we killed our baby. I said, you didn't kill your baby? What? Where do you get that from? So some people's theology on this can really not only beat them up but beat others up. And in Job, that's why Job's French up there, Job's such an interesting book, 40 chapters. If you want to read the short version, just read what Job says and what God said because that's, that's really interesting. But the friends are in there. Because the friends in the Job story with suffering each represent some of the, these theology that are beating people up today. Some of his friends are going, well, you must have sin in your life because you're suffering. And God's going, you're a righteous man. At the end of the story, God rebukes them and he says to them, what you taught was wrong. In fact, it's so wrong that you have to go to Job and bring a sacrifice to God. Then go to Job and get him to pray for you. And because of his prayer, I'll forgive you. Like he's pretty ticked off. So just be aware of what you're saying to people when they're, when they're going through difficult times. Don't say the things that if someone said them to you when you lost a loved one, you'd punch them in the head. <laughs> That's how you evaluate it. <laughs> we better get on to point two. <laughs> oh, thanks, God. Okay, let me encourage you. Point two. So therefore, disappointment is not proof that God is withholding from you. It's actually his way of leading you home safely. Wow. God's crushing process enables people like me to be used by God and have a ministry. <laughs> I was as rough as guts. Ros was saying to one of the state execs, Oh, Mark was like a Jacob. He was always trying to manipulate the situation. I didn't like manipulating people. But I always had an excuse for something or the right answer or manipulating the situation to work for me. You know, like I go to church for the first time after I'm saved and I'm a bit, well, what's in it for me? And you know how that's not a wrong question. What can I give? I am the body of Christ. In a, in a way, 
I'm Jesus, so what am I supposed to do now to help others? So it's not what's in it for me. So God had to, that's why I've become authentic, because it's the only way I can stay out of pride is to tell you how hopeless I am, and it stops me manipulating, because you think, well, we're not following that guy, because he's hopeless, he just told us. It's great, now I can't manipulate anybody. Um, <laughs> um, Helen Keller said this, she was a deaf, dumb and blind woman going back a long way. Character cannot be developed through ease and comfort. Only through trial and suffering can a soul be made beautiful. Because if you think, who are the most beautiful people? Well, to be honest with you, Ben was one of the nicest people I'd ever met. And I assumed, I thought, he's such a nice guy. Man, that guy's a good guy. He just must have had it really easy, wonderful parents, everything provided. He tells me his story <laughs> By the time he finishes, I'm weeping on the floor. I'm like, it's like that. I was from a poor working class family. Roz's dad was the state forestry commissioner and they had a tennis court and a swimming pool on four blocks of land. I assumed in my working class upbringing that they must be really greedy, selfish people. That's how they got rich and have all this stuff. But then I learned they're the most generous people I've ever met. When he built the swimming pool, he gave that much money to the missions. And when he built the tennis court, he gave that much money to missions. They bought little for themselves. They tended to do well in bigger things, but they weren't selfish in small things. I'm being brought up in a little bit of poverty, so it was like, I need food, and I need clothes, and I need all of it I can get, and I'm not sharing with anyone. So God had to pry my hands off and teach me a little bit of generosity first, then tithing, then offerings. Like, there's a journey he, he takes you on. So this is what he's doing in all of us with, with who he is in us. So pearls, you know the pearl of great price story. A pearl is an irritation placed in the shell. It annoys the oyster so much that it coats it. It's like having that gritty sand stuck in something. So it coats it so it becomes smooth. And while it's there, it coats it over and over. Now watch this. Until it's big enough to be valuable... Then it's removed and sold at a great price and everyone boasts about it. So the irritation is the thing that becomes the value. Have you noticed this? I'm melancholic, so I like to set out my life in order. So for me, this is just such a great analogy because life is so annoying. The interruptions. And I heard someone say once, really, you know what life's about, don't you? And I'm just sitting there in a daze up the back hiding. And this person goes, well, someone famous in our church, and they go, um, uh, oh, life is what happens to you while you're trying to do something else. It's made up of the interruptions. And I'm back, oh, I just woke up and went, yes! Everyone turns around. And, Why are you sitting up the back? You're the pastor. You should be down the front. But, you know, it was like, oh, that's so true, the interruptions. Because God's inconvenient, isn't he? We left a church of 800 where we were assistants to take on a church of 20 in massive debt because Brian Houston had asked us to do it and we said no. And I went, I'll pray about it, but it wasn't sincere. I just said it to get him off my back. And <laughs> that night I go to bed and at midnight the Holy Spirit wakes me up and said, you said you'd pray. So I get up with my Bible and I'm like, mm, all right, kind of. Couldn't be bothered reading it properly. He just threw it open. Yeah. Forget your people and your father's house. Kind of almost leaps off the page and, page and smacks me in the face. I'm going, I'm going, you can't call me to have a church. I don't even like going to church. That's why I was sitting down the back. 
goes, well, you can have a church for people who don't like going to church. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll do that. So, like, it, it, it's the irritation, isn't it, that my whole ministry and what I love has come out of. It's the interruptions by God especially. So, Paul, so does God pick nice people? So I don't know about you guys, but I'm like Paul. I'm just, you know, doing the wrong stuff on my horse and proud about it. Okay, let me speak to you. Stop persecuting me. I want to use you. No, no, no. You're supposed to use the people that love the church and are really nice and do nice things. Now, I don't know about you guys if it was like that for you, but... Isn't it important that he can use some of the people? Look, you just look at some of the people he uses. I, I wrote a list somewhere. Can't find it, but I can just tell you. <laughs> Peter. Zacchaeus, ripping off people in the tree. Paul, basically killing Christians, knocked off his horse. Not everyone's like that. There were others whose righteousness stood out, and there's that too. But there's so many people in Scripture that just, yeah. So watch out. He can use you. Can you use me? I get to preach. It's stupid. When our church was growing, I whinged to Ros. I said, oh, Ros, more responsibility. And then I'm reading one day in Scripture and it says, when you're faithful in little, I'll give you much responsibility. <laughs> responsibility is not a reward. <laughs> what kind of reward is that? I shouldn't say. I thought, I can't say that. It should say, I'll give you money. Or, you know, like, much responsi- responsibility is a reward. Whoa. Ross says to me yesterday, I got, I'm 66, so in the mornings I feel like I'm in my 40s, in the afternoons I feel like I'm in my 80s, so by the time I get back to my hotel, I just say one whingy things to Ros, and she says, oh, okay, Mr. Happy. <laughs> I thought, okay, I've got to make sure my fall, my fall back as I get older is being happy, not irritable. And I've got to tell you, it takes a bit of work, but I'm getting there. I'm getting there. So sometimes even for the deeper things that are happening in you, yeah, nearly finished, the deeper things that are happening in you, it's, it's like you can be in a pit sometimes. I was talking to a girl who's in your church who, who when she was very little, was in our church, but her, her parents were beautiful. We got the best out of her parents, but then there was breakup and mental health issues and drug issues and, and violence and uh, both have passed away so she's a beautiful girl and we just have such a heart for her because it's kind of like that orphan thing but you know when you go through stuff like that it's like you're in the pit you're like Joseph in the pit or you're like David in the sheep folds, or David in Saul's palace or David living in caves or Daniel in the lion's den or Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego in the fire or Jonah in the whale or you and what you've been through, what your pit, but so much work of God seems to happen in the pit that eventually draws, draws the beauty out. Even David, for all the pits he'd lived in, it was him that says, and Joel Osteen teaches better on this than anyone else in the world, he, Joel teaches, blessing is following you around, trying to catch up with you. Well, he's right, because it's in Scripture. David said, Psalm 23, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. It's, it's following. And that's why sometimes you've got to call it in or speak to it. I read someone the other day, I can't think who it was. They said, stop talking about the mountain that's in the way and speak to the mountain. Zechariah teaches when you've got an obstacle, you speak grace to it. That's why it says, you know, the mountain will be removed. Well, you don't kind of see it, but they, they do get removed. Um, 
So it's like, it's like speaking to it. You've got to believe that when you're going through something tough, that the goodness is coming. It's going to catch up and overtake. Uh, it's like a bow and arrow. You're the arrow. God, God wants you to end up somewhere. So the, the further he pulls back the string, the more the resistance is, the stronger will be the flight and the more accurate you'll be at hitting the target. So that's why sometimes in his, watch this, mercy, he allows greater resistance because he knows it's where it's going to land you. It, not to be cruel, if you, if you understand what I mean. And I suppose that's almost the point at which the greatest trust tests are for all of us. It's like you've got to lead yourself. Yourself is going, no, this is too hard to trust. Yourself's got to go, no, no, shut up, flesh, soul. We're going to trust God. We're going to, sometimes you'll have to do that six times in a day in those tough days. Say, no, we're going to believe God. We will come through this. Um, one more thing and then, I, and then I'll finish. David with the lion and the bear. This, this is so interesting. So David faces Goliath. That story freaks me out. You've got to take a giant on. I get scared of giants. Everyone else thinks... He's too big for you to take on. He's not afraid. Do you know why? Because to him, with the accuracy he knew he had with his slingshot, he's just thinking, this guy's just standing there mouthing off. He's huge. He's a giant. Too big to miss. Not too big to take on. Why was he able to show up to that battle with so much courage and so much confidence? Because over here when he was 13, his dad left him alone in the sheep foals all night, protecting the sheep, wondering, well, who's going to protect me? So during the day, he had hours and hours to practice with the slingshot, like when you shoot the cans off the fence, you know, on the farm. Practicing, practicing, so accurate. He could take on a lion and a bear, a moving target at night, and take it out. He gets to the giant... There's just a big dude mouthing off. No problem at all. Wasn't even a hard battle. Wow. And that's sometimes what God's doing for us. He'll allow the smaller battles so when the bigger battle comes, some, sometimes it won't be that much of a struggle. You'll, you'll have a built-up confidence and skill set that will take you through it. So sometimes what seems to be cruelty from God is actually the mercy of God so you can take the bigger thing out. Your identity, who you are, doesn't come from what you do or even who you are. It comes from whose you are. There is always a fourth person in the fire with you. Do you know, I heard someone say the other day, I loved this, three guys in the fire. Because for me, I'd be praying, don't let them put me in the fire, don't let them put me in the fire, I want to avoid the fire, keep me out of the fire. But very often that answer is no for all of us. Why? Because he comes into the fire with you and protects you so well that there actually is, at the end, is no smell of smoke. And I've heard Darling Czech teach, in what you've been through, don't carry the smell of smoke for the rest of your life. But, but because they're in the fire and the king saw what happened through that, the whole nation was changed and it was declared that their God should be worshipped. So a better result than if they had been delivered from the fire. And it just seems to be, I can't explain it to you, that on the earth, that seems to be God's attitude. 
I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I will come into the fire with you and make sure you're going to be okay. It's going to be tough, but I'll make sure you're going to be okay. And people will be changed through that because my goal is to populate heaven. And then you can be like my mum thinking, I don't mind going through this if others benefit. And that's lose your life to find it right there. Wow. So, Father, we just uh, commit ourselves to you. Sorry for all the fear I've had and all the fear that different ones have in different areas. We're brave in some areas, God, without a doubt, but we're scared in others. But we thank you. We acknowledge this morning in our faith and belief that Romans 5.2 is true that by faith we have access into this grace in which we now stand. So that means we are always in grace. It's not coming and going. You're always with us in the fire. You're with us in our success. You're leading us on. You're leading us into purpose. And we just declare your purpose over this church, this body, each individual sitting here this morning, that your purpose of influence throughout our state and throughout our nation will come to pass. I thank you that many many lives and callings will be fulfilled through this church we thank you in jesus name amen um i just felt to say going off make sure they get more holidays than they deserve because when i i've had burnout not super bad but bad and when i came back i had to find my rhythm so i went to the elders and said my rhythm i need six weeks holiday a year four's not doing it I need one study week each term just to recalibrate my life figure out where my preaching's going and just to have this space to kind of know who I am in. I'm 66, so that, that, that kept me going for another 30 years when really I probably should have only made it another four or five. So these guys aren't bludgers, they're really hard workers. So anytime they need extra space or just their, their rhythm's different, just, just let them be them and you'll find you'll have good longevity in your church. God bless you.